Next, we have three albums from 72 and 73, Bowie's peak glam period. If we were to break down the Bowie eras by hairstyle, and that's as good a way as any, then we've entered the proto-mullet years. In January 72, Bowie got a new haircut from a hairdresser named Susie Fussy, who would later marry Mick Ronson. Uh, Susie cut off his hippie locks and made it short and spiky up top, and then she dyed it red-hot red. Soon Bowie would go full Ziggy with futuristic clothes and makeup to match that hair, inspired by kabuki style, like some cat from Japan. When the Ziggy Stardust album came out in the summer of 72, this new persona threatened to overshadow the actual music. But if we put aside all the image-making and the sci-fi mythology, the music stands on its own quite well. And you could actually think of Ziggy Stardust as a consolidation and continuation of the sound of Hunky Dory. Queen Bitch, especially, with that heavy Lou Reed influence, provides a kind of blueprint for Bowie's transition to a glamier, guitar-driven sound. And once again, he's joined by the great backing band of Mick Ronson on guitar, Trevor Boulder on bass, and Woody Woodmancy on drums. No Rick Wakeman on piano this time, since he went off to join Yes. The messianic alter ego Ziggy Stardust fused together Bowie's loves for science fiction, cabaret, and everything in between. He found inspiration from all over. He came up with the Ziggy part of the name after his recent American tour when he first saw Iggy and the Stooges. And there might have been a little inspiration from the supermodel Twiggy. More on her later. The Stardust part was borrowed from legendary Stardust Cowboy, an oddball psychobilly act from Texas. And the name for Ziggy's backup band, The Spiders from Mars, may have come from a 1954 UFO sighting over an Italian football stadium, which turned out to be a swarm of migrating spiders high up in the atmosphere. Fun fact, Bowie would later play at that stadium on his Glass Spider tour. It's telling that Ronson Boulder and Woodmansey became known as The Spiders from Mars in real life too as the line between fantasy and reality became a bit fuzzy for Bowie at this point. So from a surely musical standpoint, Five Years might seem like an odd album opener, but in terms of the whole Ziggy Stardust mythos, it makes perfect sense. It introduces Bowie's framing device of people learning the news that the Earth will be destroyed in five years' time. And Bowie was a bit obsessed with that sci-fi imagery, even working it into other songwriting he was doing at the time, like All the Young Dudes, which he wrote for Mott the Hoople. Um, as Bowie explained later in a conversation with William S. Burroughs for Rolling Stone, All the Young Dudes Carry the News refers to that same apocalyptic news that's in five years. And in that conversation with Burroughs, Bowie also clarified that Ziggy Stardust wasn't an alien himself was an earthling chosen as a vessel by extra-dimensional beings, the infinites. Except when we first meet Ziggy in Moon Age Daydream, he's calling himself a space invader, so maybe we shouldn't get too hung up on the details and instead just enjoy the music, like Mick Ronson's cathartic guitar solo. From Moon Age Daydream, we go right into Starman, a one-two punch for the ages. This might be Bowie and Ronson's finest moment, and their performance of Starman on Top of the Pops in July 72 is forever remembered for how Bowie coyly draped his arm around his guitarist's shoulder. Looking back on that now, it's hard to appreciate just how scandalous that moment was, but people made a very big deal out of it. 
And that was followed by another star-making moment when Bowie pointed to the camera as he sang the line, I had to phone someone, so I picked on you, who, who. For my money, the most memorable thing about that Top of the Pops performance was Trevor Boulder's incredible two-tone mutton chops. This was also the moment when Bowie took the glam mantle from Mark Bolin of T-Rex, who gets a playful tribute from Bowie on the track Lady Stardust. It's hard to pick out the album's greatest glam moments. I mean, I'm partial to the proto-punk chug-a-lug of Hang On To Yourself, which again shows a heavy Lou Reed influence, as does Suffragette City. So Ziggy Stardust as a rock star avatar is at his peak there before coming to a crashing close with the Jacques Brel-inspired Rock and Roll Suicide. And after Bowie played Rock and Roll Suicide as the last song of the last concert on the Ziggy Stardust tour at the Hammersmith Odeon, he announced it was the last show the band would ever do. But it wasn't really the end, of course, even if Bowie wanted to kill off the Ziggy persona. The next album, Aladdin Sane, was inspired in large part by the U.S. leg of the Ziggy Stardust tour. In fact, Bowie would later describe it as Ziggy Stardust Goes to America. The title was a pun on A Lad Insane. And at least we can say that Bowie had upped his pun game since the days of the Laughing Gnome. Watch That Man sets the tone with the garage glam sound that came from Bowie trying to emulate the New York Dolls after seeing them on the U.S. tour. The title track is a bit more avant-garde with a jazzy piano solo from Mike Garson that pointed the way to Bowie's later experimentations. And he wrote Drive-In Saturday after an overnight train on the west coast of the American tour, and the lyrics imagine a post-apocalyptic world while also dropping various names like Twig the Wonder Kid. There's Twiggy again. Panic in Detroit, one of the album's best tracks, paints a dark picture inspired by stories from Iggy Pop. And Gene Genie, another highlight, works as an Iggy Pop tribute, while also alluding to Jean Genet, another pun. It's not all American influences, though. Time goes back to Jacques Brel, and Lady Grinning Soul has a flamenco sound to it. There's also a fairly heavy debt to the Rolling Stones in their Exile on Main Street Sticky Fingers era. Bowie probably would have been better off keeping the Stones' influence implicit, but he decided to include a campy, glammy take on Let's Spend the Night Together. And that cover, for better or for worse, pointed the way to Bowie's next album, Pinups. In the cover photo for Pinups, Bowie still looks like an alien, and he's posing alongside, wait for it, Twiggy. After Bowie had dropped that line about Twig the Wonder Kid into Drive-In Saturday, the two of them saw each other socially, and Twiggy's manager set up a photo shoot in Paris for Vogue magazine. Bowie wanted to be the first male model on the cover of Vogue, but after seeing the photo of him and Twiggy, he decided he wanted to use that for his next album cover. I may be talking a lot about Twiggy here because I'm not so eager to talk about the music. It's a bit of a disappointment after Ziggy and Aladdin Sane, but maybe he just needed a palate cleanser at this point. So he decided to pay tribute to the bands he listened to back in his London mod phase from 64 to 67. The Pretty Things, Them, The Yardbirds, Sid Barrett-era Pink Floyd, The Mojos, The Who, The Easy Beats, The Kinks. It was all recorded at a chateau in France that doubled as a popular recording studio. Uh, Elton John nicknamed it the Honky Chateau, and it's where Bowie would later record the album Low. 
Pinups was recorded over a few weeks in the summer of 73, and the whole thing sounds like a rush job, even if Bowie does seem to have a genuine love for these songs. As for highlights, his versions of Friday on My Mind by the Easy Beats and Sorrow by the Merseys stand out among the mostly pedestrian covers. Uh, Sorrow is really a cover of a cover, since before the Merseys got to it, it was originally done by the American group The McCoys, most famous for Hang On Sloopy. Speaking of Sorrow, it's a little sad that this album was the swan song for the spiders from Mars and the end of Bowie's glorious collaborations with Mick Ronson, since the whole thing is kind of underwhelming. But Bowie was ready to move on to his next reinvention. <laughs> 